I'm joined today by the fabulous Valerie Stevenson, an experienced executive coach, people consultant and well-being expert. And today's topic of conversation is coaching around mental health. Valerie spent most of her corporate career working with Deloitte on global projects where innovation and thought leadership were vital. Her final role with Deloitte was as Director of Engagement, responsible for well-being, engagement and inclusion. Valerie, quite rightly, is proud to have been part of the team that set up an award-winning diversity network and several initiatives such as Mental Health Champions Programme, Transitions Coaching for Parents and a Health and Wellbeing Programme, the most innovative at that time. Along with being a professional coach, Valerie is also an accredited supervisor. So in this podcast, I hope to explore with her the important topic from a supervisory perspective as well. So welcome, Valerie. Thank you, Jason. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, And this is a very important topic to me. So I am I'm happy to share my experiences and knowledge. (laughs) And, And I'm really looking forward to exploring it. You know, you and I have known each other for a while now, and I know this is not only something you're very knowledgeable about, but also something you're very passionate about. And in your own words, I know that you want to be known for your belief in coaching people from all walks of life. And that also includes coaching alongside those with mental ill health as well. So what I'd love to do is is really start off by clarifying what you mean by mental health and whether this differs from well-being, which is another term that we might find that we use within coaching. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sort of turn that question on its head because to start with, you know, what do I what do I mean when I talk about well-being? And I think well-being is the holistic topic, if you like. It covers all different areas. And if we think about those two words, hyphenated or not, well-being, you know, we are being all the time um, and it's whether we are well or not. So, you know, that term well-being to me encapsulates our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health. And actually, for for many, um, it would include our spiritual um, health as well. So for me, well-being is the holistic term that can be broken down into different components. I mean, mental health is obviously the health of the uh, of the mind. Um, I do sometimes think what gets a, a little bit confusing is when people talk about um, mental health. Well, actually, they mean mental ill health, because, of course, we all have mental health just as much as we all have um, physical health. But it's it's the way, you know, the, the way we approach our, our thinking. And we know that there are times when our brain thinks in different ways. That is not mental ill health. That's more around neurodiversity, which perhaps we'll, we'll talk a little bit about later. But mental ill health, there are certain symptoms and conditions, and that's what that is for me. And obviously there are different, sometimes for some people it's very transitory, um, life's ups, ups and downs will cause us to be in different places along that mental health spectrum. Uh, and for some people it's a permanent condition that they would live with. I hope that's answered your question. <laughs> it, it's answered it beautifully, as I would expect you to do. And and I love that term that everyone's a being because we are, as you say, we're all human beings trying to be mm-hmm. and be as healthy as we can, whether that's physical, mental, spiritual or, or otherwise. So that's a really nice definition and explanation for me. And that's helped me. And I hope our listeners really understand the differences there. One of the things that I'm sure the coaches that are listening to this podcast will 
want to understand and I know it's something that you like to lean into and not shy away from is when we go through coach training we're sort of told to stay away from those mental issues mental health issues so one of the things that I, I, I want to understand and there's an, another sort of lovely phrase that you, that you gave me which was that it's about fundamentally that mental health is not an area to shy away from, but to lean into. So not only from your coaching perspective, but also if I may tap into the supervisory element is how do you set the right boundaries and know when to not move into that that space? So I guess, how do you embrace it rather than shy away from it and, and have the right impact for the coachee that you're working with who may have mental health issues? Yeah, and I, I think you've used a really important word there, um, which is boundaries. And I think, you know, we all need to understand our boundaries. And I think that's that's very, I mean, coaches uh, listening to this podcast will understand that, you know, that is part of um, our training to understand our boundaries. But I think anybody needs to understand what their boundaries are, whether you're a line manager or you're working in human resources. So we all have to understand what our personal boundaries are um, when perhaps working with clients who have a mental ill health condition. And perhaps you may feel, individuals may feel that they are not the right resource or are not equipped to work with people in this space. Um, but one thought I, I would offer up is given that one in four people and I'm sure that ratio has probably got higher over um, the last um, three, three, four years, um, will encounter a mental ill health episode in their lives. It's highly likely that as a coach, you have coached somebody um, with a mental ill health condition and maybe they've just not told you or um, maybe you will in the future. And, and I, um, I'm always a great believer that you should be prepared. So, you know, Find out what your boundaries are. And if you are willing to step into this space, then, you know, do something about it, get some learning around it. But, you know, since starting my own business, you know, some 10 years ago, I have often been challenged about working with people who have experienced mental health. For me, I feel I would do more harm turning away from someone, you know, increasing the stigma that perhaps they've already felt. And I, I, I wouldn't have a coaching session with someone who was in the middle of a period of, say, clinical depression um, because they wouldn't have the mental capacity um, to make sense of what we're doing. I might put coaching on hold, but I would be available to listen. Um, someone once asked me, um, you know, would I coach an alcoholic? And I said, Yes, as long as they weren't drunk. And I, I think this is an interesting um, sort of analogy that, yeah. you know, it's it's the same. You know, I, I mean, an alcoholic will have periods of absolutely, you know, being coachable, but not when they're under the influence of, of alcohol. It's the same with uh, mental health or physical health to come to that. Um, so I believe that, you know, if we're talking about ethics, it, it is about knowing your boundaries and what you're comfortable with. And I, I, you know, and that's fine. You know, some people will make the decision this is not a space for them. But, you know, I would say, you know, don't go out there to sort of analyse. Don't go out there to try and, you know, say, oh, that person's got this, this person's got that. You do need to be able to spot signs and symptoms. But, for you know, 
one of the boundaries is certainly, you know, don't put yourself in the place of a medical practitioner. I, I use a very simple sort of guideline. Don't sort of diagnose or treat. Yes. Which a medical practitioner is there to do, because as coaches, unless you're specifically trained in that space, that's not our role. Definitely, definitely. I totally agree. Um, and if you don't feel equipped to, you know, continue down the route of coaching and somebody's coming almost almost crying out for help in a way, then do find the right pathway for them or resource for you know, the individual. I mean, don't just leave them um, standing alone. I mean, that's that probably is the worst thing you can do. And if you do want to work with people in this space, then, you know, do go and gain some knowledge and develop the right mindset. Um, you know, whether you have experienced mental health or not, you know, never seek to judge, always seek to understand. Um, you mentioned the, the supervisory piece and, you know, um, sort of qualified last year as a as a as a coaching supervisor and it's something I've been wanting to do for some time and actually one of the reasons that drove me to do that was that there were so few supervisors and maybe that position has changed over the years who really understood certainly for me I mean I've been luckily lucky to work with an amazing supervisor over the last five years who completely gets this space but you know supervisors who again you know going back to that initial training of you know well well, coaches just don't work with people who are mentally unwell and of course when you just come out of training mate that's good advice you know because like anything when we specialize we need to gain some additional knowledge so I'm absolutely not saying that the training is wrong it's just like when you start to to gain experience you will try to you you will certainly you know put out where you want to go what specialisms you might want to coaching yeah and and, and i we make the assumption that or that we've been informed that our coachee has a mental ill health issue my experience is when working with coaches is that it just appears Definitely. And, you know, you start to see some of those symptoms and you start to have some concerns that they may not be in their best place so I think that's important to as coaches to realise that a lot of coaches won't disclose to you. Some do. And I, I find, you know, it's privileged for someone to say, I've got this issue, you just need me to be aware of that. And I take that into consideration. And as, a, as I say, I don't go and try and diagnose and treat it. But I'm then aware of that's in, if you like, the system that I'm working with, with this, with this individual. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think as coaches, we're we're not concerned or we shouldn't be concerned, particularly in this space, about what is wrong. Um, You know, it's more about answering the question or what to do. Um, And certainly it is useful to have some tools to help the client consider um, their own well-being. And in particular, if we're doing with mental um, well-being as well. But, you know, it's so often people don't declare that there is an issue or it isn't part of the goals that we're dealing with perhaps when we have a you know a a three-way conversation with the client and the person supporting the coaching it does come up I think more often lately people will recognize that there is a coaching goal there um, to do with the individual's um, well-being but very often it will come up through coaching And then we have to use our judgment as to sort of, well, where do we go from here? Do we need to recontract? Is it something that we can just continue with? It's a point of awareness rather than anything we have to do. And I think 
one of the things that's, that that always occurs to me is that as coaches, we ha- we have such a a strong skill set that encourages people to open up. So we, you know, we we know that when we go in as coaches, we have to build good relationships with people. We also hone and develop our listening skills. And there you go. You know, we've got that perfect set of why people would want to open up to us as a coach when perhaps they wouldn't feel um, happy to do that to their line manager. They may or somebody in an HR role, perhaps for fear um, that they may be misunderstood if they do so. Absolutely. It's great to hear you say that because a great coach will build a relationship where it will put the coach in a place where they're comfortable to disclose and, you know, express their emotions and their thinking and other things that they they might uh, give give to us, which is you know part of a great coaching relationship and building that and helping to raise awareness for both parties to help that individual to grow. There are a number of things, Valerie, that, that you mentioned that I want to come back to, which are really important, is contracting with the the coachee. And when I contract, I always make it clear about the boundaries of coaching and what the aim of the coaching is. And what sometimes happens there is that you then I get disclosure from the individual that they then talk into that they've got a mental ill health issue or, or as you say, there's some neurodivergent um, element that I need to be aware of. And what's your experience of of that contracting and I guess setting up that relationship to start with to get it onto a, a good footing and, and good start? Yeah, I mean, I, I almost want to go back to my uh, my Deloitte days. Actually, I spent most of my sort of working career, corporate working career rather, working in professional services. Um, and certainly, I would say that's probably where my interest in well-being actually sprung from. But it, partly, it was part of my job, my role. Um, but also, it quickly sort of came into um, my coaching. And there would be times when it would be when it would be declared upfront as part of a coaching goal. I mean, it may have been perhaps a you know a momentary lapse into mental health following a you know a relationship breakdown at work or at home more likely actually it was a perceived failure to achieve a career goal that would actually just send somebody spiraling out of control um or it could be the demands of the job just exceeded personal their own personal resources and those were sometimes the occasions when it just came up um, it was recognised by perhaps the, the, the partner who was you know, responsible for the individual who they reported to. Um, but there clearly were occasions when it came up other uh, during the coaching. And I would always ask myself the question. And again, I think this is the question you ask when you're a coach or a line manager. Is there anything anybody else needs to know? Um, and if there wasn't, well, then, you know, things would continue because it was just a almost like a special experience that the individual had shared to me. And if it didn't make any difference to the coaching, but it was just, you know, that relational presence that we create during coaching, then it would sit with me and we would be aware of it and we would talk about it. But it didn't alter the contract we had. There may have been occasions and there still are where something's come up. There's quite a major issue and with the individual's agreement 
um, then perhaps we would have a further three-way meeting to discuss it. I mean, clearly my boundaries as a coach and my boundaries of confidentiality are very dear to me and very strong with me. And I would not disclose anything the client told me. Unless, of course, you know, those things that we always tell clients up front about, you know, are they going to cause harm to themselves or others as long with with the sort of unlawful activities. I mean, those would be the only times when um, I feel there wouldn't be a need to break confidentiality. Yeah. And the other two, if I may just add, that I I sort of put into my contracting uh, around that and disclosing is whether it's illegal or whether yes, it breaches organisational policy. Yeah. And, yeah, and I love your question, of, is, is there a, a, anything that others need to know? Yeah. So you're putting the responsibility back onto the coachee to then you know, say yes, there is, and then then take ownership of that. The, yeah. the other question also, Valerie, that I use sometimes right at the beginning of the contract, is there anything else I need to know? Yeah. It then gives yeah. them the opportunity to share because, you know, going back to the beginning of the conversation, we shouldn't shy away from it and we shouldn't make it a sort of stigma. I think it's if that's something, a challenge that they've got, it's important for me as the coach to be aware of that and with that mm. trust and as you say that confidentiality it stays within that relationship but it allows me then to work with the whole person and the whole system and challenges that they're working with so those are some of the questions that I, I use and some great ones as you say from yourself there. Mm. Yes that that question you know is there anything I need to know is is something that really came home to me actually during my um, supervision um, studies and it's a question that you know it came out of you know you should start your um, supervision se- sessions with this but I've I've brought it into my coaching now as well because I think we're all in a different place you know anytime during the day actually mm. and it's it's important for me as a coach or as a supervisor to know um, where the person I'm coaching or supervising is at that given moment. I don't know what they've gone through, um, you know, prior to stepping into the coaching space. I don't know what's happened, you know, the day before, the week before. And, you know, they may have, you know, gone through something quite traumatic that would be useful for me to know because the way they are might be different and that would explain it. Yeah, perfect. And sort of the way we're talking at the moment is that our client will to some degree disclose that and give us an understanding of it sometimes they won't Mm, so mm -hmm. where that situation is where they they don't give that and as a coach we're listening and we're noticing what's going on what are some of the things that coaches should be recognizing to maybe give an indication that something isn't quite right from a mental health perspective Yes, I, I think that there is this this sort of phrase that comes to mind, um, you know, when I, I, I think about sort of coaching in this space or, you know, as a line manager, actually, we can only deal with what we know. <laughs> but there are sometimes situations where we sort of we're aware of of something that's changed about our client or the person that we're managing. And, you know, from a line manager point of view, you're going to be observing, you know, that person much more frequently, um, which can be helpful. But actually also from a coach point of view, you know, sometimes having that gap between how frequently you see um, your clients can also um, give you some indications that something's changed. I do think we need to be aware of the the signs and symptoms 
of mental ill health conditions. And I'm, I'm going to do a shout out here for mental health first aid training, um, because I think that that is essential, actually, for all coaches and for line managers. I, it's a life skill for me. I don't think it's just a nice to have. I think we we all should be aware of um, much more aware of mental Ill health as well as you know physical um health as well and um, you know we we wouldn't ignore somebody whose arm was clearly broken and dangling off the end um you know just as much as we shouldn't ignore somebody who's you know looking so different is having difficulty in putting a sentence together um you know is losing attention very quickly you know physically just looks different and we can, you know, we can we can state that back to the individual. You know, you 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 know, you you could say just as much as you would to. It, this is about one human being using that word again to another. You know, I am recognizing that. You know, you're you're losing focus today. Is is there anything you want to tell me? And nine times out of ten, Trace, and I don't know about you, but that will trigger that response in the individual this is somebody who I can you know who, who's interested in me who I could talk to and that's not prying it's just stating what you're observing so yeah I, I, I think it's knowing you know having that confidence to know you know what we're talking about when we mean mental health and being confident to reach out to people to offer them and to listen I mean if we don't do anything else as coaches we can listen yeah. And I, I, there's some lovely points. And I, I just like to unpick um, some of this, if I may. I, I think this point about I use the term noticing, you know, and noticing this, because when we work with a client, we're on a journey with them. And that journey is a journey of development and awakening and, yeah. you know, helping them to play their best game, whatever game they, they choose choose to play. So you do notice there's changes going on. And that's our role as coach, help them change to be better, whatever better is is for them. But we always assume as a coach that it's going to be a positive better. <laughs> and that journey is going to be seamless with no ups and downs. But you're absolutely right. What I notice with my clients is sometimes there'll be a step back rather than a step forward or there'll be an emotional change and they're behaving differently than the normal because I can pick up on that because I've built that relationship, whether that's over three, six or plus months time. So I think that's a really important point. And I love your phrase around, you know, with the time, you know, and I again, this comes back to the importance of when you have a coaching relationship that the timings of the session are appropriate to the individual and, and sort of the context in the, what they're working with. I know some coaches will try and speed or accelerate sessions through, but what you don't then get is understand what the, the normal is for them because you're just working within a, a short space. So the timings of those sessions and understanding and noticing the relationship. But the other key piece, which I want to reinforce for our listeners, whether you absolutely, as you say, whether you're a coach or a, a line manager or just a general individual, is get some mental health first aid training because it, it's critical to be able to recognise it. And then obviously the other key part that as coaches were trained to do and line managers should be trained is, is signpost people to the right professional support that they need at that point of need. So I think there's some great points that you raise in there, Valerie, and thank you for that. Yeah, and, and just one thing that um you triggered something when you were talking as well is I think as coaches, you know, we can't 
always expect that we're going to be um, you know, um, uh, tripping along in the green, the green grasses with our clients, and everything's fine and happy. You know, we we have to be prepared. And 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 a, a book comes to mind here by the wonderful Hetty Einzig, um, the future of coaching. And in this book, she talks about you know, as coaches, we need to um, be prepared to step into the dark places with our clients. Um, it's not that we're going to stay there you know we we know all about sometimes these things can transfer to ourselves and we have to be prepared that that isn't happening and we talk to our supervisor if we've been through um, or share you know one of our clients has shared a traumatic experience but we have to be prepared to go to those places with our clients. Absolutely Uh, and, and I use the term you know we need to go to places where we're both vulnerable Yes, um, yes, absolutely. Great one. And it's building the relationship to go into those spaces. And for me, that's where I call it the magic. That's where a real awareness starts to develop and where the richness can then help them to move out of that space into an even better space. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that term. And I've not heard of that book. So we'll put that in the, the show notes that people can refer mm-hmm. that and um, certainly after this, I'll look up on Google and, and get that. Mm-hmm. So we talked about a lot of things, Val, around noticing and some of the sort of things that we might recognise and some of the challenges that mental ill health and, and sort of some of the well-being elements provide. But if I may, I'd like to move into some of the skills or the tools or the key principles that you've learned that have worked to help people move out of that space and to manage those reduce those issues so that they can play their best game so would you mind talking to some of those yeah absolutely i mean i I would just say that i think uh, you know if you if you have found yourself coaching in this space or you're thinking about moving into you know being a well-being um coach is um certainly a good first step is that mental health first aid training so you know just bear that in mind and for those of you who are already um, mental health first aid trainers don't forget that you do need to sort of do your um top-up training i think it's every couple of years it's just something i had to remind myself of recently so i thought i'd do a shout out for that but there are, um, you know, there there are many things that you can do. I mean, for me, I've been such a an avid reader over the years. I, I mean, I think my interest in in, in I'm going to use the term well being because I think that's where it started yeah. was one that was just really about myself and um you know as as life progressed those around me so I've always had this sort of I don't know strong interest in things that you know nourished my mind body and soul if you like and you know it's taken me in many interesting directions over the years I mean I I became a vegetarian at age 11 much to my mother's consternation because she didn't know what to feed me um and then you know got into practicing um meditation and yoga and I, I've just always been naturally curious about what makes human beings beings. You know, it's just a, a natural curiosity. But I think, you know, the journey into that well-being space really started for me when I was working in that, you know, pressurised professional services environment, which was no different from any other um, similar organisation. Um, but I felt that that was giving me the opportunity to do something positive. 
And I have, I consider myself have been very lucky. So I've had the opportunity to work with some great people uh, in this space. And, I, you know, they've been willing, they've willingly shared their knowledge. And I'm, I'm going to just shout out a few names here because they've just been so important to me. Uh, Dr. Jill McLeod, who gave me the inspiration to open up access to well-being in the workplace and who taught me about neurodiversity when the term you know wasn't understood people would say to me what what are you talking about and then um people like john bins who came about his about his experience of depression um when he was a partner at deloitte and you know i i haven't had a period of depression so i don't know what it's like i can only understand it from what others have told me but if you are if you are in the same space as me then you know get this book by I don't I don't know Chapin if you know him but Matthew Johnston um he's the author and the illustrator of I had a black dog and it is the most amazing book um I won't, you know it's it's the, the illustrations and what he says who really puts you into that place of somebody who perhaps has um, depression. I've not read the book, but there's a great video on YouTube called uh, Black Dog. Yeah. And um, I I mean, I'll disclose here, I have had a bout of depression and um, it it is a very, use the word, dark place to be. Um, And my own experience of it is being very numb and no, no, no emotions, but not being in a great place. And I think the video, if you, people haven't experienced the depression, to understand what people are going through, that video and, and the book, I'm sure, reinforces it, is a, is a great uh, asset to look at. And I'd recommend any coach or even any individual to go and look at that to understand depression uh, and, and the impact that it has on individuals. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, you know, there's wonderful people out there and, you know, organisations to go to. And, and the one that I work very closely with was SANE, S-A-N-E, um, who, of course, runs the Black Dog com- campaign. So while I was at Deloitte, I, I persuaded the partners there to buy a Black Dog and um, we decorated it. And it was in the um, it was in the sort of reception area for many years. And it was a great talking point. You know, it got people talking about mental ill health Um, another great learning opportunity uh, which is so easily accessible is an organization for um, called action for happiness that i've you know followed and um done some volunteering work for over the years um you know mark williams one of the co-founders great guy um but you know you just go on their website they've got some fantastic resources and they have these regular webinars you can take a call so i mean it is just about living a happier life but they also have these amazing speakers from topics or you know on positive psychology um mindfulness healthy eating, exercise, you name it, it's there. And all the resources are there for anybody. You know, you don't have to pay a fee. Um, you can just go and get that information. So that's Action of Happiness is a great resource. And, and if I um, can just build on that, Val, as well, Mind yeah. has a great website yes. and some brilliant yeah. free resources as well on a number of issues. So that's great. Yeah. So those are some of the, some of the really, you know, you can first aid training, all of that. And then there's other stuff that you can do if you really want to be serious about that then there are certainly some training courses that you can go on as I say I've always been an avid reader I'll come on to another book in a moment but 
interestingly, I really used the the time during the COVID lockdown to um, follow my dream of having time enough to do some studying. And during over the, I suppose, the two years that that was happening, I actually took three um courses that I've been wanting to do for a long time but never had the time and the first one was um, awareness of mental health problems and it just took my journey just that step further from um, you know the mental health first aid training it's like a it's sort of like a foundation course so if you were thinking of you know for people who were going to become a mental health nurse for example that might be a foundation course that they would go on it doesn't qualify you to be a nurse but it's just a a really good gives you really good insight into um, mental health problems Um, the next one was understanding nutrition and health um, I mean, that's the other one of the other important aspects of well-being. You know, we are who, what we eat. Um, so, again, it had been a, a long time ambition of mine to sort of look more into that nutritional area. And then um, did a, a qualification on equality and diversity, which sort of took me back to my Deloitte days, the role I had there. But, you know, I, I was sort of catapulted into the job there and didn't really have much of a background. So I'd wanted to for more of some time learn a little bit more about that, which, again, as coaches, I think is a really important space. And then, um, you know, I, I have been a mindfulness practitioner for many years I guess that's where my meditation journey went and you know came to realize the value that mindfulness to give uh, could give uh, relief to people who had um, periods of depression and I'm sure you know people have heard what ruby wax and other you know people in all different walks of life have got had to say over recent years with regard to mindfulness and their own personal journey so the next step for me was to become a, a trainer in mindfulness as well. So that those are some of the, the the sort of formal courses I've been on. But I do have a special interest in emotional health and emotional resilience. And to explain why is often uh, our emotion is, is one of the first indicators that we're sort of moving from, you know, one area of, of, you know, perhaps good mental health to one that is not so good, you know, and it could be mood changes, it could be losing control of our emotions. So this whole area of understanding, it's, it's like a, I think it's part, again, it should be part of a coach's toolkit, we should understand our own emotions, and then we can understand understand others and we can pass that knowledge on and this journey for me started when I read a book um, by a lady called Gitu Bawani on emotional resilience and my goodness me it just set me off on a totally different level of awareness about what emotions actually are and how I could look after them and there's a great framework in there which I think is both a preventative and a remedial framework as well so that that's a great book to read so that's that's my starter for 10. Well, there's, there's a lot of starters there and you've given our <laughs> listeners some fantastic resources. And the thing that I love about this space is that there's some great charities and organisations that give it for free. Absolutely. So if you've got an interest, uh, please go yeah. and explore. As I say, they'll all be in the show notes. The other book that I find useful just to relate to on an individual basis, but also I will send notes to my coachee if they're going through an emotional space and quite can't quite work out what that emotion is is or means yeah is the atlas of the heart 
by Bren Brown. I don't know if you've oh, heard Bren, of Oh, Bren, yes, yes. So again, that's another great book. It's always on my bookshelf. And I, if I feel something, and I'll just try and work out what that emotion is. And, and, you know, what I find with my own emotions is once I understand them, and I can sort of read about it, and it starts to make it, if you like, logical, it's easy to make sense of it and, and then to manage it. So yeah, uh, that's yeah. on a personal level. Yeah. What I'd like to also talk into, Val, if I may, and I think this is a really important point to make, is that we've spoken very much from us as coaches and and helping and facilitating the, the coachee in their own journey. But I think what you've reinforced here with your own development is that as coaches, we need to be in a really good place and our best place. So our own personal well-being as a coach is so important so that we can show up and provide that service to the client as well. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, we we are, you know, we we are responsible as coaches and as supervisors to keep ourselves well and also to recognise if we are, you know, when we're not well enough to coach, then we shouldn't be coaching. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I think this is, you know, this is our responsibility again we have as a um, human being. I mean, I think it's interesting. I think some people... And I'm sure we can all think of somebody in this vein, just almost live their lives on self-destruct, um, you know, and it, it's it's a, it's a sad thing to say, but that's it. And it is, it's not nothing, you know, I'm not talking major drug taking or anything like that. I'm just thinking around, you know, just not looking after themselves, you know, not eating the right food. Um, I mean, I think diet is very personal to the individual. It's certainly something I learned on the nutrition courses that, you know, there is no such thing as a standard perfect diet. It has to be customized to um, the individual about what, what, you know, what our needs are at any point in our life, you know, what conditions we might have. But yeah, I mean, just making sure we are eating the right things, we are you know, taking exercise, whatever that means to us. You know, I don't go to the gym. I hate going to the gym, but I walk. I walk loads, <laughs> um, you know, at least an hour a day. And just, you know, socially that we're interacting, we've got that sense of community. You know, I, I, I feel absolutely blessed and lucky to be where I am in my life right now and have the things I do around me. And I know not everybody is in that same space. But, you know, there are always small steps that we can take to ensure that we are looking after ourselves. Um, you know, and I think particularly when we are a coach or a supervisor, we have a responsibility to do that. Absolutely. And if I can link the two together, I think as coaches, it's important as part of our well-being to go to a supervisor and be able to offload and to make sure that we're keeping ourselves in, in good shape, not only with our coaching practice, but as a, as you say, as a human being. Definitely. And there is yeah. I'm one of one of the areas of supervision that I think sometimes maybe gets lost a little bit is is the restorative space yes we're there to learn we're there to develop we're there to share what's going on with our work but we are there 
to restore ourselves you know because we're going on journeys with our clients you know and sometimes it can be a rocky journey so we need to be able to open up in supervision and not to sort of you know hold things back you know if you've had a difficult experience or something's really knocked you or something's not quite aligned in your life you know talk to your supervisor so well thank you um some real great uh, learning points and uh, from your experience um, which I knew we'd get with the, the great stuff that you've done in this space and um, we, we've given I hope to our listeners some good understanding not, a, not just about your own experience but where they can go and learn and develop their own capabilities in this space so thank you for that and as I say those will be in the show notes but one of the questions that I like to ask all my guests before we we close down the session is around our purpose as coaching focus which is coaching for a better tomorrow so from your perspective Val, what does coaching for a better tomorrow mean to you yeah that's a big question <laughs> <laughs> i think as coaches um we do have these you know really important skills um that you know are sort of foundations for supporting individuals in the workplace being able to build these trusting relationships uh, and I think coaches have a role to play in creating and holding a space where individuals and the organisations they work for can choose to be more open and um, you know no longer fear the stigma of mental illness you know what we've been talking about today and I think with this transparency comes permission to learn <laughs> provide relevant support and create those compassionate working cultures that we we talk about so often but you know are they really there so maybe that is a little bit about the culture um that we can work towards i do think um you know we we've had we've been through some really difficult times and i think people are that maybe weren't anxious before you know have developed anxiety and are currently going through you know concerns about job security inflation uncertainty of the economy environmental crises technology they don't understand and still you know that lingering aftermath of covid19 i mean the list just goes on and those things aren't going to go away so how can we as coaches you know help with building a future that feels perhaps a bit more safer for individuals I, I'm, I'm going to just go back to um, one of the recordings, the webinars you did with George about, you know, you were talking about different generations, Trayton. And I think, you know, people from Gen Z and younger millennials are more open to discussing their mental health and almost expect it, actually. But interesting, they're also more likely to experience anxiety probably as a result of what, you know, having lived through um, the COVID pandemic and the, the sort of impact on them in particular. So I, I think it's, you know, we, we need to influence organisations. We need to influence line managers. There's a big gap with line managers being able to support um, mental health in the workplace. There's a great article, actually, 
in the um, Harvard Business Review. It's the September, October issue. So it's very recent. And it calls Helping an Employee in Distress. And it's an amazing article. And for those of you who are very business minded and want to focus on, you know, sort of the needs of the business, this is an article to read if you want to know more about how mental health and businesses should be what they should be doing. So I think there's a big gap that we as coaches can help when we are um, coaching line managers, perhaps to be better at the people side of what they're doing. If I may add to that as well, Val, I, I think it's not just about helping them to think about it, but it's also helping them to implement it and, and change Definitely. to a yeah. more compassionate workplace. Because you're absolutely right. You know, the world has changed. The world of work has never been more challenging. And I'm certainly noticing all of these things we've spoken about today come into the room more often than it used to before COVID. Yes. Um, and we have a have a role to play as coaches and obviously in supporting our clients, but also to create a better tomorrow by raising awareness to organisations that these are things that are going to get in the way, are getting in the way and aren't going to go away. So they need to be doing something to enable us not only to create a compassionate workplace, but a workplace that is sustainable for humans beings to operate and perform in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that being human movement, you know, it's 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 on a journey. You know, we certainly haven't got to the end of it if we ever will. But, uh, you know, and you're right. You know, if you look back over the fifth over the last, you know, 15 years, 10 years there, a lot has changed. A lot has opened up, but there's still there's still more to do. Um, and I, as I say, I just don't think we should underestimate the um, the influence um, that we have as coaches to encourage individuals and organisations to do more. Well, thank you. I knew this would be a pleasure. I <laughs> feel like we could talk much longer. We will need to certainly get another podcast together. But thank you for your sharing your experience, your wisdom and um, your, your thoughts on how we can create a better tomorrow. Thank you, Trayton. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs>